Okay, guys, good to, uh, good to be with you tonight. Thank you to, uh, thanks to Ben for asking me to be here. For those of you who don't know who I am, um, my name is Mark, and I'm, uh, I'm one of the pastors at Village Church, and um, kind of be good to uh, unpack what we're going to talk about for the next 20 minutes. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about sex uh, to kick off this series that Ben's doing with you guys um, for about 20 minutes, and, uh, and then we're going to go to Q&A. So you guys, uh, there should be a number up on the screen uh, right there. So anything I say or anything that you feel you want to address or talk about in regard to sexuality, uh, nothing off the table. Um, and then Ben will come up, and we will sit here together, and he will kind of punch out the questions that you text in in regard to sexuality. So uh, here's the premise of what I want to do uh, just for a few minutes. Um, I don't really want, I don't really want to preach. I just want to teach a bit uh, for the next 20 minutes. I want to frame, you guys kind of, if you go to Village at all, I know some of you probably um, don't go to Village necessarily, but if you do, you kind of hear me preach a lot and, uh, and maybe you've heard me talk about sex and that's fine. Um, what I want to rather do is kind of just teach for a few minutes, almost do uh, a bit of a discussion around two basic ideas, uh, the personal realities of sex and, and then the cultural realities of us getting this right in regard to a biblical worldview around sex and sexuality. And I understand, uh, first thing off the bat, is that we have to understand, I know this is just reiterating what you already know and feel inside all of your bodies in this room, because all of you are in your 20s, or you're 18, 19, or, and early to, to some of you maybe later 20s or 30 or whatever. But uh, the point is, is that uh, you feel stuff, you know stuff, whatever, we all know uh, that sexuality is the most, one of the most potent, powerful uh, things in regard to our life. And, and what we got to understand is that we were made by God to enjoy pleasure. And we pursue pleasure. It's called hedonism, um, where we pursue that the biggest motivating factor in our life is pleasure bar none. It defines the food that you eat, the people you hang out with, the people you date, where you spend your time, what you do on social media. It's all about a pleasure center in your brain. So you keep going back to the things that give you pleasure in life. It doesn't, so one of the ways that Christianity has been kind of mispitched to us is that it's the opposite of pleasure, that, that you have pleasure and then you have Jesus. You have pleasure and then you have God. And these are framed against each other for us. And so we pursue pleasure almost at the expense of Jesus because Jesus is the one who told us to kind of bear our cross and follow him and go serve poor people down on the Lower East Side. And we're all like, oh my gosh, this is awful. And then we're like, but sex, that's fun, that's great. So then we somehow in our brain posit Jesus uh, or pleasure. And that is not the reality of Christianity, that, that really when we fully understand from an eternal perspective what is best in regard to your pleasure, it's the way that God set up reality to wire you for pleasure, to point you to himself. And that's the point, that the greatest pleasure you are going to have in your life is to know and follow Jesus in the long run. I'm not talking about for the next 12 minutes. I'm talking about for the next million years for the reality of eternity. And when Jesus got up and he taught in the gospels and he said, listen, here's the reality. There will be no marrying in heaven, which means there will be no sex in heaven, contrary to what Mormonism teaches. And some of you are like, I'm gonna go and be a Mormon, right? So uh, the reality is 
is there will not be sex in heaven. And the reason that there will not be sex in heaven is because there's going to be something greater than sex in heaven, which is Jesus and the kind of uh, pleasure that sex is just a pointer. It's like a little piece of grass coming up through the concrete. And we're like, oh my gosh, I can't imagine anything greater than sex. I can't imagine anything greater. And it's like in heaven, it'll be like, like, you know, kick that piece of grass out of the way. It's like, there's going to be every pleasure center of your body is going to be radiating something that eclipses the power and pleasure of sex and how you experience it right now. That's why we have to understand, I'm using sex as an evangelistic tool for you right now. Sit across the table from someone and go, you know when you, you know, you know when you have an orgasm? All right, imagine the God that created an orgasm. Don't you want to know him? All right? That's the evangelistic move. All right? That's that's it. You sit across the table and you say, This was created to lead you to something. Now here's the reality in the way that God set it up. Two reflections. The first one is a personal reflection. And we have to have a biblical worldview of sexuality because we've got to understand that it was meant for your good, but of course there's going to be restrictions and that's what we all hate, but we have to understand that that was done for our ultimate pleasure. Understand that. So in Genesis 2, when God, which you've heard a thousand times if you spend any time in church, or maybe it's new to you if you're a, a seeker, then in Genesis 2, God frames something right from the beginning. And it says, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, spiritually, emotionally, geographically, financially, physically, sexually. They become one flesh, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we have to understand, some of you have been pitched, Christianity is down on sexuality. God is down on sexuality. He's not. He made two people in the garden, and they were naked. It was beautiful. He loved it. He wanted them to be naked, which was this motivating factor to, hey, I also gave you another command, which was be fruitful and multiply. And the way you're going to be fruitful and multiply is if you see each other naked a lot, at least from the male perspective. So the reality is, is that the church is oftentimes a place where sexuality is downplayed or sexuality is seen as negative. When I first entered the church, some of you know this story where I was at the youth group and I was at the front and we were singing and I bore my buddy's bag and I guess he was out with a bunch of women that, that week and I unzipped it and uh, one of the youth leaders came up and, uh, and I turned around and, and there was condoms all over the floor and then we were called into the, 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 the pastor's office and he was like, what are you doing? You're just, because I was new to the church. I'd never been to the church before and so I was a chain smoker that swore every other word and I had big baggy pants and a chain wallet because I didn't want anyone to steal my $4. And I was there and, uh, and, 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 I, and everyone said, oh, I think this guy's here to just get the women. I'm like, no, I'm not here to get the women. You know, third youth group condoms fall all over the floor. So that's not a good sign. I'm like, not mine. All right, so, uh, so, so literally I kind of entered into this very sexually regressive culture almost, this culture that didn't understand sexuality or that at least downplayed it and kind of put it in the back corner. And so that's not a good thing to do. So we've got to understand the proper, biblical, beautiful, positive framework, which is before the fall, it was something where there was nudity, there was a man, there was a wife, it was beautiful, God loved it, he ordained it, he said, I want this thing to happen. And if you're anything like my wife and I, Aaron, were like when we were in our young 20s, if you're as horny in this room as we were, uh, you got to understand 
that there's a biblical way of doing this. And I know for a fact that all of you are wrestling with your sexuality and trying to figure out how to biblically express it. Obviously, I don't have a husband yet. I don't have a wife yet. So I can't be in the garden naked and you know making babies. So if I'm not allowed to do that, if that's not my context, then what does this all look like? And that's the exploration of what it means to be you guys. And the positive, beautiful thing is that there's a reason that God created boundaries around sexuality. There's a reason that there are some don'ts in regard to where you're at right now in life. When we think about sexuality, we have to understand that we are fish in water. And God, fish in water want to go, oh my goodness, I can't believe there's all these restrictions. I can't believe I'm not allowed to do this or do that or whatever. But you got to understand that a fish trying to get out of the water and say, I need to go breathe air. I need to go up on the dock. And because that's true freedom. When they get up on the dock, they're going to actually die because they don't have air. And they don't don't have water in their lungs. That's the way they were designed. And so some of you are like, get the boundaries out. But the boundaries are there so that you'll flourish. And when you come up out of the boundaries and start to explore your own boundaries, the reality is over time, we have a soul death. We kind of, we shrivel socially, emotionally, and long-term. I'm a pastor. I can tell you, I have sat with countless people doing counseling and 90% of the counseling is digging into the mistakes they made in their past, in their 20s, oftentimes sexually with people and the spouses and their difficulties with, with, I love my husband, I've been with my husband. I love my wife, I've been with my wife. But man, 10 years ago, she experienced this, 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 and this. He did this, this, and this. And now I've got three kids and it's still haunting us. So personally speaking, there's a reason that God lays out boundaries and says, listen, you gotta get married before you're actually, I want you to flourish. I want you to have fun. I want it to be erotic. Read the Song of Solomon. It'll make you a little sweaty, but read the Song of Solomon. God wants it to be beautiful, wants you to have joy, wants it to be awesome, wants you to explore your body, wants you to have orgasm two, three times, wants you to do all these things in the context of a beautiful, healthy marriage where your physical life is at the same level as your emotional life, your financial life, your your geographical life, where you've become one in every single way. That's the way sex is gonna be amazing because the reality is sex is, good sex is hard work. And the hard work can only be done in this context and he doesn't want you to ruin it before you get out of the gate. So of course he has restrictions. And I can't tell you how many times I've said, I remember uh, when I was dating Aaron and I had to remind myself over and over again, man, I need to have an ethic in my life that's going to actually inspire me to, you know, stay on point with her and, and not, you know, go too far. There was a text I ran into from 1 Thessalonians 4, and I want to read it to you and you guys can write it down and, and, and have it be whatever it is in your life, but it was a very potent, kind of powerful, convicting text for me. 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul says this, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this manner, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. God wants you to be holy. God wants you to, to stay away from sexual demand. Now, I can't tell you how many people I've sat with and they've gone, Mark, 
I started sleeping with my boyfriend. I started sleeping with my girlfriend. Now I'm in counseling, and I've never read a Bible verse that says I can't sleep with my girlfriend before we're married. Ergo, you know, I can. And the reality is, is they're looking for the wrong thing because they're dumb. So what we do is we look for verses that just say things in 21st century Canadian ways, which is really dumb because the Bible was written 2,000 years ago in a culture that isn't us. It's very ethnocentric and dumb of us to go, well, it should say this, and if it's not that, then I'll do this. The reality is, is the Bible says it very clearly, just as to say it how you and I say it. Right from Genesis 2, it's already framed the exclusive only way of sexuality from Genesis 2 all the way to Revelation 22. He doesn't need that verse because over and over and over, he's already defined the one exclusive place where sexuality is to happen. And the point is that everything outside of that is what is contained in this phrase, abstain from sexual immorality. That's the point, pornea. Anything that is not this Genesis 2 framework fits into what sexual immorality is. And you can start listing things out in your brain. But if there's any context where you're having sexual pleasure, all listen, all sex is sex. All sex is sex. So if you're like, yeah, but don't worry, it's on my iPhone. That's sex. So if there's someone else involved in it, and you're getting sexual pleasure, that's sex, not in the context of Genesis 2. That's what it is. And so you can try to come up with all kinds of random, well, but it didn't say this. No, it does say that. There's only one way that you put a ring on it, right? And once you put a ring on it, boom, gates wide open, go. That's the point, that's what he wants to do. He's like, hey, go have fun, it's legit. All right, doesn't have to be even with the lights off. All right, it can be lights on, it can be midday, it can be two, three times, it can be whatever. Explore, have fun, it's going to be of great joy, but you have to wait. I don't believe it. Wait, listen, how many things in life that are great are painful as you train to get there? That's the point. Anything great is gonna have some discipline involved. And if you can't show the discipline, it means you're weak. And it doesn't mean you're free. See, our culture kicks against things and they say, but I want to be free. And freedom means I get to define whatever I get to do. The problem is, as Soren Kierkegaard pointed out, he's a philosopher, he said, actually, that's the opposite. If, the, the, if you come at life and say, um, I get to do whatever I want to do, and that's the definition of freedom. What begins to happen is you become a slave to that pleasure without recognizing there's a bigger thing at stake. And so on a personal level, I want to appeal to you that God has your best in mind in regard to your sexuality. He's not just laying out a bunch of don'ts for you, but he does cast a vision where it says, listen, I want your sex life to be amazing for the 60 years you're married and for the, the, the million years that however you do your sex life now will echo out into eternity in regard to your holiness and your sanctification and your pleasure and joy in me. Now, understanding that on a personal level then has this cultural impact, which is when you show the world that you don't actually have to play the game that is constantly pushed on you by the empires that we live in, what you're showing the world is that you have a satisfaction in Christ 
that is different than they have. And every time that we fail to do that well, we show the world that he is not all satisfying. Every time that we mess that up and say, you know what, I'm gonna stumble into this and I'm just gonna take a weekend and I'm gonna do this instead of what God has for me. What that preaches to the world is that, that John 4 and John 5 and John 6 is wrong, that if you eat the food that I'm gonna give you, you'll be fully satisfied. If you drink of the water that I'm gonna give you, you will never thirst again. And every time you kind of come back over here and, and, and do what the Lord didn't set up for you to do, you start showing the world that I'm not actually fully satisfied. There isn't, I, I've drank of the water, but it didn't really satisfy me all that much. And so what begins to happen is there's discipline, which sounds negative, but it's beautiful because what it does is it ends up glorifying God, honoring the person that you're dating. So, I mean, there was constantly pressure in the mid Aaron and I dated for five years, which I just do not recommend, all right? Because uh, that's, that's hard. And actually, she had never dated anyone before. I came from a non-Christian background, so I had my own um, sexual um, world and brokenness and challenges and experiences that I brought into the relationship, and she'd never uh, touched a boy before, which was oh, perfect. So, uh, so, 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 Literally, like, 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 like four weeks into our relationship, her parents took a six-week trip to Africa and left her behind with me, all right? So it was like this challenge because, so when you start thinking to yourself, well, what does sexuality look like? Listen, you guys are, you're, you're living, let me just be just pastoral and honest with you for a second. Um, you're living in a world I didn't grow up in. You are living in a, in a mind-boggling, I actually have a heart for you in regard to the temptations you guys are in the midst of. Um, all sex is sex in the sense that I don't get why people, I, you sh here's, here's, let me give you a couple don'ts because for some reason this entered the gray world. Um, you, you can't be saying, I love Jesus, I serve Jesus, I follow Jesus, I'm trying to do what the Lord. If you're not a Christian, of course, you're, you're still wrestling with all that anyway. But if you're a Christian saying, you can't be sleeping over at your girlfriend's house, um, going on trips to Thailand together with the two of you and sharing it, you know, on Instagram. Um, uh, you you sh probably shouldn't be on Tinder. Like, what's the what's the... Who, like, I don't even want to say raise your hand because it's just like <laughs> horny perv. All right, so it's like, what the crap are you doing on Tinder if you love Jesus? That ain't a way to find someone, all right? Come to the collective. It's like a meat market here, all right? So, so this is the Tinder of <laughs> the Christian world. <laughs> That uh, was not good. I've never been on Twitter. I have no idea actually what goes on there. But uh, you shouldn't be on it, I'm told. So here's the bottom line. 
You gotta have some boundary. You can't look exactly like everyone else and go, hey, I love Jesus. Hey, I follow Jesus. Jesus puts some restrictions, but the restrictions aren't, again, they're not your classic youth group description, like, hey, don't be, don't do that. And because we set up this, like, we don't talk about sex, we don't talk about his pleasure, we don't, and then all of a sudden you get married. And, uh, and people are like, what am I supposed to do? And then you're expected to be this sex goddess or this sex god. And, and I've met with so many couples where both the man and the woman was distraught over the fact that they couldn't perform because they, in the Christian world, it was this world of like, oh, it's gonna be great. You just get married. And then it was like, it was wedding night. And it was like, they didn't know what to do. And they were fumbling around and they kind of didn't know what to do, but they didn't. And, and, and so it was this world of pressure and stress. And actually there's people who are, who have had such, such experiences that they're living through things that right now I'm telling you in your 20s, you wouldn't even fathom. But when you get married and you're in the throes of life, things go on that you couldn't imagine. And I know couples who um, are so sexually frigid, and this is not a joke. I mean, we tend to laugh, but that they actually wear T-shirts while they have sex because they can't, like, like show each other they're naked. Like there's, there, there's this frigidity from things that have happened in their past. Um, now, in a room this size, I can guarantee you there's been sexually, there's sexual abuse, there's been experiences that you guys have gone through that even the people around you don't know about that will come out in coming years and so on that you will have to deal with uh, with your husband or your wife in the future. Um, and I know Ben's going to give you guys an opportunity to pray and to think on those things. And when you do, bring those things to Jesus. Because here's the beautiful thing about the cross of Christ, that it doesn't, this is very important. Um, there's, a, there's a doctrine within Christianity called expiation. And what's, a, what's so beautiful about it, in contrast to Buddhism or Islam or Judaism or Hinduism or other religions is expiation says that what happened on the cross, that the sins that get washed clean from our life are not just the sins that we do, but the sins that have been done to us. This is one of the most formative, beautiful doctrines of Christianity because what it says is that sexual abuse or that emotion, whatever the thing that has gone on in your life and both men and women have experienced it, you know you guys are, we are all on a scale of sexual brokenness. Every single one of us, including me. It's just a matter of what we're dealing with and at what level. We will all have to deal with it in a mature Christ-centered way. Um, and what we have to understand that when we give our life to Christ, he actually not only forgives us of our sin, but he cleanses us of the wrong things that have been done to us. And so you can literally, when you come here with that kind of burden, and you have, I know it, you can leave here knowing that the blood of Jesus actually washes this stuff clean and you can start new. That you can actually not only start new, but start an empowered kind of life when, when it moves from the personal. I'll just give a comment about the cultural and then we can do Q&A. Here's the beautiful part of getting your personal sexual life figured out before Jesus. And I know it's a constant struggle. I'm not trying to put a burden and a weight on you. I know it's an everyday thing. It's social media, it's internet, it's access to pornography, it's stuff you guys are doing on iPhones. And 
Guys, you got to figure out a way to honor 1 Thessalonians 4. I'm saying it's a beautiful thing. It's an awesome thing. I'm not saying it's, it's beautiful. It's amazing in this context. But before that context, you got to figure out a way to find some discipline in your life. This will be the biggest struggle you have. You know it already. I'm not telling you anything. You know it's the biggest struggle you have. you got to figure out a way to go after the godliness and the holiness and the sanctification because that's what he has for you. And it might mean, as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, somehow we gotta pluck our eyes out. Now, I know he's not being literal, but somehow we gotta figure out a way to be disciplined and pluck our eyes out. And I've told you guys this story before. Uh, you know, I'm on Instagram and I hit that little, little magnifying glass and half-naked girls come up on my thing. I can't deal with it, man. I'm a guy, I, I'm tempted toward that stuff. So I just delete Instagram from my thing and anytime I wanna do a cool little photo of me and my kids, I just re-download it and I post it because you guys know you look at it. It's not a, you know you do. So the issue is, how are you going to deal with it when Jesus comes out of the gate and goes, you got to pluck out your eye. This is called discipline. And if you're an empowered Christian, then you figure out ways in life to actually go, man, I got to set up some habits here. I got to set up some things. So that's all on the personal level. The reason that's so important, not only for your own personal godliness, is because I'm not even going to draw anything. I got them to do a whiteboard. I was going to do a big thing with you. Here's the point. Um, it's going to take too long. I'm already five minutes over. The point is this. We've often pitched this kind of stuff as simply, hey, get godly, your own personal godliness. That's what matters. I want to make it bigger than that. I think, actually, this room represents a kind of influence to the world around us. You know, the Bible, if you look at the Bible, it constantly posits the people of God as this people living in exile in the empires of the world. So whether you're in Babylon or Egypt or Syria or whatever it is, you're the Roman Empire, and you're constantly, the people of God are constantly called to be a, a contrasting voice and people that by their actions show that the empire is wrong that show that the, that the framework of the world is actually not the way that God set it up. And why I want your sexual life to be on point is because every time it's on point, it says to the world around you, this is actually the way that God set it up. But every time it's, and so there's a cultural impact that you guys can have where you actually go out into the world and the issue is, is not that you're just talking about sexuality. Sexuality has always been a picture of the gospel. Ephesians 5 says that marriage, read Ephesians 5 when it says that a man shall leave his mother and father and the two will become one flesh. And then he says this crazy phrase that we don't know what to do with. He said, the mystery is this, that he's talking about Christ and the church. What does that mean? It means that your marriage and your relationship life is a reflection to the world of the truth of the gospel. And so every time that you get your sex life right, there's a, there's a sermon that goes out to your family and friends that says the gospel's true. That God's actually good and he gave himself and he sacrificed and he gave up. L look what Jesus gave up. He left the ultimate place of pleasure. Again, how did I start? Heaven, what's it gonna be like? Every pleasure center in your, in your body is gonna be times a million, just constantly. So it's gonna be constant pleasure all the time. And he was in that for eternity, and he gave it up. He walked away from it for 33 straight years for you. And so now we go, man, that sacrifice saved me. 
It redeemed me. And not only did that, it empowered me to be able to do the same. And every time you do the same, the gospel looks beautiful. And so our lives, the way that we handle this is a picture to the world of the gospel, of the relationship that Jesus has with the church. Let that not only inspire you, but empower you to understand you've got to sort this part of your life out in regard to the culture around you. Every time that we let the culture define sexuality for us, we lose something and we become citizens of the empire versus citizens of those against the empire. You know, the church has done us a bit of a disservice by constantly framing the book of Revelation as some kind of end times nonsense where we put up some map and we're like, and then right here in Russia will come down and the great bird of China. All right, listen. The book of Revelation has nothing to do with that. It's, not, it's a complete 21st century, like we want to grow a church by putting maps up. Um, the book of Revelation is about a people in the Roman Empire trying to worship the lamb instead of the beast. And when it comes out and says, will you take the mark of the beast on you? It's 666 on your forehead or your arm or your right hand. It's not talking about some UP, some chip in your brain where you're going to go to the grocery store, buy watermelons and go, beep, I'm a slave of the empire. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying how you think and how you live. It's not about some time in the future where Apple is gonna, you're gonna have an option on your phone or will you take the mark of the beast or will you not take the mark of the beast? I shall not know. Let me look at the Bible, right? That's not what it's talking about. Because if it was talking about that, then all it has to do with is some group of people in the future at some time who's gonna get this option, mark of the beast or not mark of the beast. Nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with the last 2,000 years in a people group who choose to think and act like the world around them or not. To either be people of the slain lamb or people who follow the beast. To be people of the woman in Revelation 12 who gives birth to the Messiah or the woman in chapter 18 who's Babylon and writing. It's all of these images. You can be part of Babylon. You can be part of the New Jerusalem. You can be, and the point is when it comes down to your sexuality, it's one of the most potent ways that you show the world, I belong to the lamb and not the beast. My allegiance is here and not here. My loyalty is here and not here. The way that I think, the way that I act, the way that I live, who's got my heart? The beast or the lamb? The beast or the lamb? And every time you choose the beast, it's an echo out and says, this is where I belong in the midst of the pressure. Read the book of Revelation because it's constantly talking about the pressure, the tribulation. Are you living in the tribulation times? It means the pressure that's gonna squeeze you and it's gonna wanna ruin you and it's gonna wanna destroy your spirit and your soul and your sexuality. And then there are those who were faithful to the lamb till the end. And we start putting that in regard to our sexuality. We go, man, there's a bigger job here than, hey, Joe, make sure that you're you know, not looking at porn just for the sake of Joe not looking at porn. No, 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 there's actually a bigger issue how is Joe impacting the culture around him and showing the empire that there's an alternative way to live? There's an alternative way to be human. And when Joe decides to worship the lamb instead of the beast, he shows the world, this is what it's like to be truly human. This is the way God designed it back to Genesis 2. And the reason I do it is because I know 
There's a joy awaiting me. It feels tough now, but there's a joy awaiting me that is so great that it's worth the sacrifice. And believe me, I'm, I'm not trying to tell, I know what it was like. It's, sacri- it's different, it continues to be. It's not like I got married and my brain shut off. And my wife and I talk about that stuff all the time. And she says, Mark, I'm not attracted to any other man because you're all the man I need. I say, thank you. She's fully satisfied. (laughs) It'll be a constant struggle for the rest of your life. So there's this need. What does discipline look like? You know, it's beautiful. Uh, I'll end this way. Um, In 1 Timothy, Paul says... If you're a follower of Jesus, let me give you three images of what that looks like. I want you to be a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. The thing about soldiers, athletes, and farmers are they work tirelessly. They get up early. They're disciplined. They work hard. It's not easy. If you want harvest, you have to put in the hours. You're up at 5 a.m. You're running. You're, if you want to win the you're just working, 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 working. Some of you approach this issue in your life lazily. Some of you approach your faith lazily. And Paul goes, man, you want to do this well? It's going to take work. It's going to be difficult. It means you get up before everyone and you do push-ups or whatever that means metaphorically for this issue in your life. you got to figure out some disciplined things so you can honor God with your body and your mind now, in the future, and eternally. Let me pray for you, and then Ben's going to come up with some, with some questions. Father, um, it's, there are few issues that are more real to what this room is going through in life, trying to navigate. We are tempted. This is just so readily a part of who we are. And the tension and the struggle, there's this beauty in it. There's a joy in it. I don't want to talk about it negatively. It's like, it's this beautiful thing you wired us for in the garden. And then when 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 it turns bad, now it retains its power, but there's this now pulling toward a, 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 a misuse of the, of the symbol, a misuse of the power of it. And so I just pray um, by the power of the gospel that every, every young man and every young woman in here can figure out a way to bring their sexuality to you and let you redeem it and restore it and empower them to honor you with it. And they're gonna fumble. They're going to fail. They already have walking in here. So the last thing I want any of this to be is wait. I, just, I want them to know the power of the cross to forgive anything they've done walking in here, to forgive them, not only to forgive what they've done, but what has been done to them, and not only to do that, but to actually empower them by the power of the Spirit to change, to live in a way that shows the empires around us there's a different way. And we've got it, and we're doing it well to the glory of God and for the good of the people around us. Let us actually take the bigger vision of this isn't just about me and my life. This is about the kingdom. This is about the gospel. This is about transforming culture. Let us take that missional weight of this issue and let it inspire us. In Jesus' great name we pray, amen. All right.
Thank you. Sorry, I went 10 minutes over. We'll go right into it. So he's going to throw up the number again, just in case some of you guys that Hey, before we get started, can I just say, I don't get to come here very often. I love being with you guys. Ben's your leader. Ben's amazing. You're doing a great job here. He loves you guys a ton. We talk about you constantly in the office. How do I reach them? How do I disciple them? How do I love them? His heart is pure, and he's working tirelessly to do this well and shepherd you well. So you guys have a great leader here in Ben. So you're very blessed. Very blessed. Yeah. So they probably text that before I talked. Yeah. <laughs> that was kind of, you weren't listening, were you? You were in the, ba- you were in the bathroom. Like, so is there any verse in the Bible? Uh, yeah. So my point, yeah, no, my point, my point was, yeah, um, when I get to, when I meet with people, they, they, I've met with constant uh, people who've been, they, they start sleeping together. Now they want to get married. They're Christians. They grew up in the church, and they come with me at this, with this nonsense about, oh, the Bible never says there's a verse that says, do not have sex with him. And I take them through the whole hermeneutic of, no, 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 it doesn't need that verse, because from Genesis 2 to Revelation 22, it says it everywhere. That's the whole point. It's this picture. He's defined it in Genesis 2 paradigmatically for the rest of the Bible all the way to Revelation 22, so that every time you read sexual immorality, What's, what's included in that phrase is everything outside of what he already defined in Genesis 2, which is man, woman, in the garden, naked, married, before God, covenant together, financially, geographically, um, emotionally, spiritually become one to the exclusion of all others, leave mom and dad. Um, once that's defined in Genesis 2, now we don't need that verse because he's already defined it for the rest of the Bible. So that's... Okay, so yeah. let me give you what would be your perspective on asexuality? What would be your perspective on asexuality? Um, well, um, I have not yet spent a ton of time with people in that situation. Um, so I'd actually find it quite hard to speak into it with any kind of... Uh, um, you know, knowledge. I, most of the people I talk with are uh, on the spectrum of, hey, I have sexual desires in a massive way versus just don't have any. I'm just not, I'm not sexual. Yeah. 99% of the people that I meet with, counsel, deal with in life are the opposite, which is, hey, I have massive sexual desires. I just don't know where to put it. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to function. I'm, I have uh, same-sex attraction, maybe, or I've, I've been abused, or my husband does this, or my, I'm trying to be 22 years old and you know, do that, um, which actually raises the, the question, if you are asexual and you just don't have these desires at all in life, um, there are probably people who are pretty private about it because it would be seen as weird or something, and so they don't tend to come to pastors like me and go, hey, look, this is not a, I don't even, you know. Uh, 
Um, and so I would say they need to make sure that they have good two or three people around them that they trust and love that they can process that with. Okay. Yeah. Continue. How do you carry on a Christian dating relationship if you already had sex together? <clears throat> um, well, it kind of comes back to the discipline thing. Um, you, you come before the Lord. You re- obviously it's hard because you've kind of you've been to the Promised Land, and so it's like very hard to like go back to Egypt, um, <laughs> which feels like slavery, right? It's like cheapers building these crappy pyramids in the dust and the sun baked. Anyways, uh, and so. Um, so it's hard. I mean, you've made it hard on yourself, um, which is, uh, and so there needs to be, you know, repentance before the Lord. Um, one of the things that I've done is I've actually sat with people, uh, and they say, hey, we're getting married in nine months. We've had sex up to this point, and me and my wife have said, okay, we'll be accountability partners for you, and we will call you every week, um, and you got to be honest with us. Uh, now, there's a bit of power in it because I said, if you're not honest with us, I won't do your wedding. <laughs> and all your family and friends will know because <laughs> I won't show up. Uh, but uh, so you probably don't have that kind of power over your friends. But, uh, but you need to go and actually get accountability and go, look, we're trying to do this right. We're trying to do it before the Lord. First Thessalonians 4, um, be inspired, be convicted. And so you get these people in your life um, who can go, hey, we're going to call you, tell us the truth. If you fumble, it's okay. We're going to pray for you. We're going to move on. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's tough after, certainly. But yeah, accountability is massive. Understand there is forgiveness, and uh, it's not all, you know, uh, hopeless or whatever, and it can be beautiful on the other side. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, I've, I've talked to a lot of people once they get married, and this is what you got to understand about your... Uh, if you're out sleeping with a whole bunch of people and kind of doing that thing, the more that happens in your life, once you get married, we all know this because we're, we're, you know, in the last 200 years, we've done so much brain research that, we, and especially, you know, even with regard to pornography, if you go on the uh, uh, fightthenewdrug.com, uh, which is a secular website about the, what porn's doing to our brains, it creates uh, neural pathways in our brains that become addiction like cocaine or caffeine, where we actually start expecting a certain look and feel to something, um, and we go back to it again and again, and we create these pathways. And so it's like coming off an addiction where you actually have to go through detox. Um, and a very similar scenario happens. If you've done that, then you get married. What you find is you've got the one person. It's the same person. You're having sex with the same person. And there's not that like, hey, it's a different person all the time. And so you've created these pathways and experiences. And I'm telling you, it feels great when you're in your 20s. Once you get married... It's very hard to all of a sudden shift that way that your brain works and the way that your body adapts to it, uh, where variety is king. Now you have no variety, and it's very difficult. And so I'm counseling a couple right now, and they're getting divorced. He's leaving her because he was a bartender, and he just slept with every girl who came in the bar. And now he's been married for three years, and it's like, you know, we were actually sitting in marriage counseling recently, and they're sitting. It was fascinating because they were sitting, and they, he said, you know, I really struggle because I used to have all this variety and now I don't. He said this right out loud and I was like, you're an idiot. Uh, and, then, and then she looks at him and goes, looks at me and goes, yeah, isn't that weird that he likes variety? 
Like, wouldn't he just love the fact that he has one person for the rest of his life? And I kind of was like, wow, she just is not even in the same world as him. Like, his whole world is like variety is the goal. For her, it's a different thing. It's a world of, of, of emotion and, and, and security, and, and they got two kids together, so it's tied up in all these other things, this ecosystem of things. For him, it's just like this girl, this girl, this girl, this girl. So I tell you that because you're, what you're laying down now is going to have impact on, on your marriage and the way that you function. And so really, you know, under Jesus, think, think really clearly about the decisions you're making. Kind of related to that, uh, somebody asked, can God supernaturally restore your virginity? <laughs> that, that was a question that was texted. Okay. Legitimate question. Wasn't, uh... Can God supernaturally restore uh, okay. Yeah, I think emotionally, not, not physically, okay. obviously. Uh, I, no, so if the question is legitimately... Hey, I had sex. Can I? Can my physical body parts be repaired by the? I, I, I. Well, he can do anything. So I'm not going to say God can't do stuff. God is not allowed. Um, so, but I don't think that's what he does. Okay. I think the whole point of virginity is. This is the point, right? We're we're good dualists. We think we think um, physical world spiritual world, those are different. And so, and God goes, man, these are so intertwined with each other that they are constantly impacting one another. And what I want to do is heal you emotionally, spiritually, and all these things about your life. And it's not as if you just separate those and go, ergo, now I'm not redeemed fully. Mm -hmm. Um, Because he's saying, okay, yeah, this physical thing happened. You can't, you can't reverse that. But of course, spiritually, you can be born again, and emotionally, and, 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 and uh, uh, psychologically, and all those things. Yes, 100%, absolutely. Yes. So if you're in a relationship, and you do have a sexual past, what would be a good point uh, to bring it up about maybe past sexual experiences or other things like that? Yeah, probably not first date, <laughs> right? Let's go to Menchie's, so... Uh, <laughs> I've slept with 14. Um, so not probably first date, unless the other person asks. Listen, here's the deal. And I'm going to, I'll just give you this, write it down, build your life on it. The most important thing to build your relationship on is trust. If you erode trust at the beginning, you will fight the rest of your life to get it back. So do not lie. If they ask you, how many people have you slept with? What have you done? How far have you gone? Do not play games. Do not lie. But I also will say, do not download every detail because A, they don't need every detail. Unless they are pining for it, then you can do that. But don't give them any more detail than they're asking for. That's very important. Um, Because I have seen marriages where the husband just shares too much stuff and the wife remembers it 15 years later. And she goes, man, I just wish you wouldn't have told me that detail. Like what? Because that's what happens. Guys just get rolling and they're like, well, then this happened. Then there was this girl at Canada's Wonderland. And then we went, you know, it's like, chill. Sorry, Canada's Wonderland. <laughs> that's where I grew up. You guys have no idea what that is. I'm like, what is that? All right. Um, 
so, uh, so don't, don't give more detail than they're actually asking for. It's very important because it messes with you in the long run because they remember those names and those actions and those places and they don't forget them. Uh, my friend told me the other day that he was with his wife and they were walking into church and uh, <laughs> they got into some conversation and he said something, I won't tell you what it was, but it was too much information about his past and he's regretted it for the last three weeks. So it hasn't been good at that home. So anyways, <laughs> but don't lie. That's the key. Don't ever lie. You have to build trust. trust. Trust is the foundation for everything in the relationship. And so, um, yeah. Yeah. And just to say, like, I have a super sense of conscience. And so, I would my wife, I, I love to tell her everything. And I told her right from the get go when we got married that I was going to tell her everything. But eventually, she realized that she couldn't handle that. So, we had a conversation about, okay, this is what you should share with me. And this is kind of like what I need to know in order to continue to keep that trust in the relationship. So, just be really open to your conversations and uh, it'll work out for the best. But here's another question. Um, a little different. Um, I was deep into getting prostitutes for a couple years, and I'm afraid that once I get married, that I'll expect that same experience. What do I do? Um, so first off, that's going to be, as you know, a tough, a tough thing for your wife. You're gonna, you have to find a gracious girl who's just like, man, forgiveness in Jesus, awesome. You know, um, that's gonna be tough, but it, but it will happen. I. I I'm not trying to discourage you. It will happen. Uh, I've known uh, lots of women who are very gracious um, and understand that. Um, you're going to have to cultivate, if, if, if by what he means by the question um, is the quality of it or something. I, I don't know exactly what he means by like, how do I get that going in my marriage? I don't you know exactly what it is, but I assume it's some kind of quality, erotic experience uh, you know, obviously variety is not going to happen. It's one person for the rest of your life. That's what you sign up for. So make sure, you know, this is the person. Um, and if you want to know, like, hey, like, what are they going to look like in 20 years? Look at their parents. <laughs> um, so, um, but you've got to cultivate... You are like, I don't understand. Uh, you gotta cultivate, you gotta cultivate a good sex life, which means before you're married, um, it's very important that you guys understand kind of what because everyone's got different levels of sex drive. And so constantly in marriage counseling, I meet with people and the woman's sex drive is here and the husband's sex drive is here or reverse, and there's a mismatch. And that comes with a flurry of things, experience, having kids, life and stress and work and money. Um, try to match that sex drive and understanding that, and then have the deep, guys, you gotta have the conversations with each other because you gotta know what you're getting into. Um, I remember a few years ago, I went out with my friend. Are you yawning? Are you that bored? I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I went out with my friend a few years ago, and we were sitting in the car, and he starts crying. And I said, what's the deal? And he said, um, so I married this girl. I knew who she was, yeah. And he said, we got married, and I wanted, uh, I wanted her to give me a blowjob. And I said, okay. And he goes, but she won't do that. She won't have oral sex. I'm like, okay. And he's like, I, 
I didn't know that before we got married. And I'm like, what? And so they got married, and she's like, I don't want to do that. That's gross. And he's like, sorry, what? And now he's married. (laughs) I'm just going to let that one go. So um, the point is, You, you guys won't have to talk about it. But uh, the point is, is that you got to talk about what are the expectations? What's going on here? Is this something you are willing to do? Because if not, like, if it's a big deal, then you got to ask the question, like, do you want to be stuck for the next 50 years with someone who, you know, so you got you to gotta be able to have those conversations before you get married. And these people dated for five years. I don't see how it never came up. Anyways, so... Make sure you're talking and everything's out on the table and you know who you're marrying in regard to, to sexual compatibility. Okay, so two questions and uh, they're kind of linked together. So the first one, uh, what's the difference between lust and attraction? When, when, is it a whole, when is it wholly impure to have strong feelings for a person you're dating while not turning those feelings into lustful sin? Yeah. Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, if you start fantasizing about them, masturbating, thinking about what you're doing to them, all that stuff. Obviously, that's lust. If you look at someone and go, man, she's really gorgeous, or he's really gorgeous, great. I love him as a specimen of the Lord, and I'd love to spend my life with him. I love his pecs, and his muscles are nice, and his face structure is great, and his cheekbones are awesome. Um, That's great. That's awesome. That's God made us visual creatures, right? He put them in the garden naked, Uh, It's for a reason. Like, visual is good. It's beautiful. It's when you then start going, and here's what I'm going to do to them, and her, that becomes lust. And so it's this tension of, you can recognize somebody's beautiful, and even in sexual even, um, and not start thinking about what you do to them, you know, later on, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's constantly walking that, you know, walking that balance. Mm -hmm. And so with that, uh, the Bible says very little bit about masturbation. So what are your thoughts on that? How much time do we have? Um, Oh, man. (laughs) Is this going to be like uh, the official Village Church stance or just like what Mark said when he was tired at 10 o'clock at the collective and they didn't say, you know, tell anybody. Um, uh, Okay, let me just give you my personal. My personal opinion is... um, it's a pretty natural thing um, as long as it doesn't become a full-on lust thing. And how that happens, <laughs> how you can do one without the other, I'm not sure. Uh, you know, I'm picturing myself walking down Walmart. Okay, that was good. Um, I don't know what that looks like. Um, but here's what I know. Here's what I know. Um, it's so natural that if a boy uh, doesn't masturbate, he obviously has a wet dream. Um, and if men who are married don't have sexual release on a pretty consistent cycle, they'll just have an emission. Uh, uh, very technical language right now. Um, and, uh, and so it's, very na- it's a very natural thing. Um, and so I think 
it's not crazy to go, okay, this is, you know. And the other thing is, is when I meet with, one of the biggest issues I deal with in marriage counseling are women who, there's a certain percentage of women who just, who, who don't have orgasms in the context of marriage. Some of those reasons are physical, and uh, they, just, they just can't do it, they can't have it, physically it's a challenge. So what I tell them is, I want sex to be good for you, so you need to go talk to a doctor, you need to talk to a psychologist, you need to do your best to try, don't just settle for, I've done marriage counseling with people and they've been married, the woman's been married five years and I'll look at them and say, do you have an orgasm when you have sex? And she's like, no, I thought that was something that's gonna happen 10 years from now. And, I, and she's settled for a version of sexuality where she's not even experiencing the great pleasure that God designed it for. And so, um, so I tell her to go to counseling. You know, and, and one of the things that I tell her is uh, you need to actually take some responsibility for your own orgasm because women are different than, than men. Obviously, it's a little more complex. So, so learn your own body and then teach what you know about your own body in regard to its pleasure to your husband. He'll appreciate it because he's lost. And, uh, and then it will be good. And, uh, and so she's like, are you telling me to go home and masturbate? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. I can't say that. <laughs> so, uh, so there's a certain level of um, uh, physical body stuff that in the context of marriage um, is important for people to know their own bodies and then teach what works for them to their spouses. Um, outside of marriage, of course, which is, you know, and, and actually this question is not exclusively before marriage because people who are married masturbate all the time. Um, and so the issue is how do you not make it a porn thing? How do you not make it a, uh, a, an, an unhealthy lust thing? Jesus is obviously clear. If you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery. It's a bad thing. Don't do it. So we can't lust. Um, but I think just the physical, natural reality of, of, um, of having an orgasm and stuff at different levels of um, different stages of our life, it's a very natural part of part of life. Yeah. So. And part of that is also making sure that because let's just be honest, masturbation is the lazy way to have an orgasm. So if that becomes um, your thing, <laughs> over having sex with your wife, you know that that's right. a problem. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Um, check that. Right. Okay. You, you heard it here first. <laughs> With that, we're going to close. Uh, thanks for letting us go over time a little bit. Um, we're going to close with one worship song. Um, and uh, thanks, Mark, for coming out. Cool. Um, Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, guys.